Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your work in our lives and, and for how when we will just give you a little more opportunity to speak to us, to teach us through what we read in these devotionals or in your word itself. How selfish we can often be, how preoccupied with our own concerns, how unaware of what you're doing in this world, how unaware of of what you might be wanting to say to us personally about our our walk with you, our, our devotion and dedication to you, our willingness to obey you just that much more deeply. Would you continue to work in each one of us? I pray for each heart and mind. And you know what you're doing in each place. You know what each one has come before you and and said, Lord, I want to do this. Would you honor that? I know that you will. That your spirit will move and work to touch our lives and to deepen our commitment, our obedience, our walk with you. Lord, I also want to thank you for Dave and Benita, for how much they have meant to us, for your leading in their lives, which we are saddened by, but we can also see is truly a part of uh, what you have. It's, It's good, and it's good for many reasons, and they have seen that, and they praise you for that. So we ask your deepest, richest blessings on them as they follow you in obedience. Open the right doors. Help them find another place of service and worship. And Lord, would you use them richly among the new people they'll be in contact with and and their family and, and all that you have before them. Now as we open your word, we ask that you again would be faithful to speak to hearts and minds your word and your will, in Jesus' name, amen. So if you would, would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and we've come to the end of our pursuit of loving mercy. We said in the fall that we were going to act justly and study what that meant, and, and then in the winter now to, uh, to study what it means to pursue uh, this loving of mercy. And then when we come back after uh, the Easter season, we'll walk into what it means to walk humbly, looking at Jesus' followers. But out of the Sermon on the Mount, I've pulled these principles out. What does it mean to love mercy? And I've said, I think that you might be able to sum it up this way. This generosity, availability, intentionality, and hilarity, or joy. This, uh, this suggestion of being generous, generosity, giving out of what you have and out of what you've received. And then secondly, uh, availability to God and to each other in thought and word and deed. And then intentionality, that is looking where we should and listening to what we should. And then we finally arrived at this, this final characteristic of hilarity or joy, the right heart and uh, receiving the benefits from the things that we, we've been studying before. If we do these, then these things happen that give life and energy and oxygen and nutrients. And I'm suggesting a couple of things here. A don't, that we talked about last week, don't worry, we learned from the birds that we're fragile. And uh, he knows that and he cares and there's real joy in knowing 
that he knows that, that he's that good. And that we are to be busy like they are, doing our part, but not trying to control his part. There's joy in knowing that he's in control. We have to be responsible, but we're not responsible for everything. And that's good. And then we're to follow the instructions, to seek, not worry. Let him replace by putting him in first place. And do specifically what he says. There's, there's joy in knowing what to do, to seek first his kingdom. And then all of these other things will be added unto us. And this week, we conclude our discovery of this concept of mercy by leaving ourselves with a final exhortation from the very words of our Lord and Savior. Be this. This is the do. You are this in me. Salt and light. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, the joy I speak of here uh, is a result of these other principles, as I've mentioned. Uh, You're generously merciful uh, because of His generosity towards you. You're available because He made Himself available to you. You're intentional because He was intentional towards you. And you can be joyful because all of these, all that He has willingly done for you. When you are a recipient of mercy, you are. And there's an emphatic R here. This, this 13 and 14, light of the world and, and salt of the earth are emphatic. You are. You, my followers, alone are. In fact, you alone are the light of the world, are the salt of the earth. You are now, because of what He's done, people whose lives have been touched and changed by God's mercy. You've become something new, contrasting, different by God's purposeful plan. We're first recipients of God's mercy, but then we become influencers, advocates, changers, penetrators, instruments of God's grace. Remember last week as I, I talked about what we needed to believe and I, and I said, you know, God's message to you would be this. First of all, that I love you. Secondly, that, that I've taken the first step towards making things right. Then I said that God would say, I want you to help me change the world. And then finally, in time, I'll, I'll fix everything. I really think that sums up, <coughs> excuse me, very succinctly God's message to us. And there's this third part in there. I want you to help me change this world. Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, is very early in his ministry. He's talking to a minuscule group of people by comparison to the entire world's population. And he's looking at these people early on, before he's even called his disciples or anything and, and gathered these great followings because of his healing and so on. Early on, he looks at him and goes, You and you alone are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. 
you, by my design, are going to help me change this place. Wow. Can you imagine if you kind of got that message? You're kidding, right? Look at the impact of this. You're not saved, changed, liberated for your own purposes. You've been bought for an immeasurable price for His purposes. And for that reason, Paul says, I'm a servant, I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. For that reason, Mary, after having been told that she was going to bear God's Son, said, I am the Lord's servant. That's why Thomas finally said, My Lord and my God. That's why Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, in response to being told not to speak and teach at all in the name of Jesus anymore, they said, you judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. That's why Paul in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9 says, When I preach the gospel, I cannot boast. I'm compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. You see, you're His to do what He calls you to do. And that's what this passage says. You are alone the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And there's joy in knowing who you are. There you go. We're done. You want to go home? You lost an hour of sleep anyway. Yeah, not quite that easy, is it? I mean, to understand, okay, you know, you yell at it me loud enough, okay, I'll get it. What about being it? And that's very obvious in the passage as well, because most of the words that I just read are about... Um, when it goes wrong, <laughs> the salt loses its saltiness or, or the light is hidden. You are, but like Paul, he says, woe to me if I do not preach. You see, obedience is not optional because our adoption was not provisional. So, now what? God declares that you are this. Now what? You see, we're first recipients of His grace, but then, then we have to become influencers and advocates and changers and penetrators and instruments of, in God's hands. And we must. It's not optional. This is what we must be and do. So, let me unwrap this concept of, of light and salt. First of all, the salt. Well, first of all, let me say, salt and light both penetrate. Okay? Ever thought about that? Salt and light both penetrate. Salt to change and not be changed. And light to reveal a way to the Father. So, salt. Salt penetrates to change and not be changed. It is meant to be used, not saved. I walk up to your door. I knock on the door. Can I borrow some salt? The thought that runs through your mind first is not, oh man, this is going to cost me something. You ever thought about that? 
Salt is very common. Salt is very inexpensive. Salt is everywhere. There doesn't seem to be any lack of salt. You're not killing yourself when you go to the shop right and find out how much salt went up this week. It just isn't happening. A milk, you know, meat, bread maybe, but salt? Not really. It's common. And you're not meant to hoard it, right? But to use it. So it doesn't do any good when it's in the shaker. That's why we call it a shaker. It's not a storer. It's a shaker. You use it. You distribute it. And it can penetrate and bring change. I think it was Evie Hill. I know it was he that said it. I can't remember if he was quoting somebody else when I heard him say this, but he was an... Uh, a, a fantastic uh, African-American uh, preacher that I heard uh, a couple different times. And I remember him saying, salt has the incredible ability to be inextricably dissolved into the stake without becoming stake. Contact with what it influences does not change the salt. It is the salt that changes what it touches. The earth doesn't change the salt. The salt changes the earth. Kent Hughes says, we must allow God to rub us into the world without becoming like the world. We may fear we will disappear and disappear we may. But that's the point. Salt dispenses its power as it dissolves into the world's flesh. That is when its effect is greatest. As pungent people empowered by the presence of Christ's Spirit within us, we are to penetrate society. We are to become involved in life, in the community, in our schools, in politics, in our neighborhoods, in the world at large. And then he asks, does this text affirm us or mock us? Are we salt? And salt may lose its saltiness. And this is the danger. But note, it has nothing to do where where it is. Going back to uh, it's meant to be used and distributed everywhere. It has everything to do with what it is. You've got this one job to make a difference, to bring change, to penetrate your surroundings. And Jesus, as always, as God is always good, <clears throat> never asks us to do anything we uh, ask anything of us that he hasn't already done himself. And, it, and Jesus led the way in this. Proximity was everything. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. There was no reaching us without being in contact with us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. Now let's let Jesus' symbols here get even more specific as to what our penetrating influence of salt is supposed to be. Salt does a few more things. It preserves. As bad as the world is, it is better because we're here. Do you know that? As bad as the world is, 
It's better because there are spirit-indwelt, salty people who make a difference in this society and in this world. Now that means a couple of things. We do make a difference if we're salty. Now we may not think it's all the difference it should be, but it would be worse if we weren't here. And secondly, the more we love being in the shaker, the worse the world will be. You ever thought about that? The more we love being in the shaker, the worse this world will be because we're not influencing it. Kent Hughes again says, believers, salty believers, are the world's preservative. The question we must ask ourselves is what happens when we get to know people without Christ? Does it make a difference in their lives? Are we salt? So salt preserves. Secondly, salt creates thirst. Salt's effect makes a person want more, listen, of something else. Have you ever thought about that? You come over to my house, you have my wife's incredible Italian cooking, and you say, wow, um, that's delicious. Would you pan me the salt shaker, please? Thank you. You don't want the salt. You want what, what the salt makes good, don't you? You see, we're supposed to be making people thirsty, not for us, but for the one who has changed us. And if you truly are salty this way, in this good way, people want to know what it is about you that makes your life different. Then it's not, oh, well, you know, I'll tell you what, (laughs) I've done this and I do that. No, it's about this person who changed me. We're meant to draw people to desire what we found, not necessarily ourselves, but what we represent, what we've been changed by. And then salt brings change. Salt purifies. Now there's a lot of fear that we get too close to the world, that we'll, as we penetrate it and, and, and try and bring change, and as we do, we'll get contaminated. Certainly Scripture speaks to this. And in great care regarding our behavior. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or anything of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. James 1.27 says, Religion that is good and our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And Jesus even prayed for us in this regard. In John 17, he said, they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And we can see by this prayer our Lord's declaration that we're to be salt of the earth in this kind of penetrating proximity. Not taken out, but but there, but protect them from the evil one. Use them to change this place. The key is to be a purifying influence, to be a changer, not be changed. Now, as we get to the light in a second, maybe we'll see a little bit more about how we can make sure that happens and alleviate our fears that we would be contaminated if we get too close. 
But as salt right now, remember, you're meant to be used. You hang in the shaker, and the world goes down the tubes, and I, just me speaking, but I wonder, with all the head-wagging and tongue-clacking that we do about our depraved and horrible world that keeps going down the tubes is it possible if God has called us to be salt in this place and to make a difference that we would get before him and we'd say Lord did you see how bad America went could he look at us and say and what difference did you try and make I asked you to penetrate it I asked you to shine your little light We're meant to be used and we can penetrate and bring change and we dare not lose our saltiness. Now we turn to the light. The light reveals a way to the Father. It's meant to be seen, not hidden. It can show what God does in you and it may lead others to so much more. Now the danger here is is where it is before others, not what it is. Being different is not bad. It's a sign of something more. So... It's meant to be seen, not hidden. You are to be what you are wherever you are. If your point in getting as close to the world as you can just so you can be like them because you know that God forgives and and it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission and so you just want to be as close to the world and as much like the world as you can be and get away with, you don't get the light thing. Because we're talking about darkness and light. And if you're light, you're making a difference and you look different. So, a little illustration here. My brother was a local policeman before he became a federal agent and he was uh, doing undercover work in a city in the south where we went to college, same city. And uh, he was asked, he was following somebody, so he had to be in a place... um, of uh, significant ill repute, let's call it. The kind of place men like to go where men ought not go. And it wasn't a good place. It was a dark place. And he was uncomfortable as a believer being there, but he had to be for this, for, you know, for these reasons. While he's there, he looks across and he sees across the room a student that he went to college with at this fine Christian college that we went to. Yikes. He wouldn't be much of a light, was he? My brother went over and sat down in front of him, across the table from him. Of course, his eyes got like saucers. He looked at him and he said, Listen, I belong here, and this is why I'm here. You don't. Get out. And he did. He, he wasn't, you know, trying to be salt. He wasn't trying to be light. He was trying to see how close he could get and get away with it. That's not what we're talking about. If you're light, you're meant to be seen and it should make a difference. And it can show what God does in you. Speaking of my brother, you know what he wants to do in his retirement? He was just telling me when he was here visiting a couple weeks ago. He wants to hang out in jails. 
He wants to do ministry in those dark places because of what he has learned from his law enforcement experience. And what I find interesting is that his proximity to a sordid world has not repulsed him. It has increased his burden for those that are lost in it. And that's what should happen in our lives. Our proximity to a sordid world should not repulse us as much as it breaks our heart for foolish people who are lost in it. Because it can lead these people to so much more. Here the danger is not being where you're supposed to be. And literally, that's what this means. When it says, let your light so shine before men or before people, what is that? What does that mean? This New Testament word is used to make a distinction regarding sinful men whose conduct and way or nature is opposed to God. He's not saying shine your light before those who all got good lights like yours. Shine in a place where that light's really going to be seen. Again, proximity becomes important. It's not to be avoided. The danger is not what light is. Being different's not bad. It's a sign of something else. And maybe if we're really honest with ourselves, it's not the fear of contamination that's the real issue. It is that we really don't want to be different. We don't want to stand out. We don't want to be seen as someone whose life the world doesn't want to accept. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Flight into the invisible is a, den- excuse me, is a denial of the call. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow Him. Of course, how we do this is extremely important. That's why we get to verse 16 where He says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds. Now those good deeds, um, this Greek word means attractiveness or beauty. He could have used another word to talk about goodness of quality. That is, just be really good people. Instead, he uses this word that speaks of, um, of attractiveness or beauty. These are to be compelling works, not conceited ones. Something that others notice with admiration and appreciation. So consequently, these words from John Stott. Indeed, the primary meaning of works must be practical, visible deeds of compassion. It is when people see these, Jesus said, that they will glorify God, for they embody the good news of His love which we proclaim. And without them, our gospel loses its credibility and our God His honor. What are you feeling right now? Are you afraid of the dark? No, because I've got this huge light, light over here that's bleeding in that I wasn't able to cover this week. Not me, but some friends of mine helped me cover the windows today, except for this one. And I, if it hadn't been for the fact that you, uh, you lost an hour of sleep tonight, I was going to ask you all to be here at quarter to six like I was this morning in this room when it was pitch black. But just imagine it's all black. What are you feeling? Afraid of the dark? No, that passes. As a matter of fact, we get all too used to the dark, don't we? 
instead losing its effect a little with the light that's bleeding in. But when I was in here at quarter to six this morning, this made a lot of light in a really dark place. And this is what he wants you to do. You see, what you feel in the dark is a need to see, don't you? And that's why Jesus did the work that he did in in you, so that you would be an answer to those people's needs who are lost in darkness. Now listen, this isn't a big light. You don't have to be a big light. You only need to be there in the dark. And you don't have to You don't have to know all the answers either. All you got to do is is show people the way out of the darkness. You are the light of the world. And we've got to Make our light shine. We've got to be willing to allow ourselves to be in a place that's dark. Not because you have to be perfect, you just need to be there. Not because you need to know all the answers. You just need to be able to offer enough light to help somebody see their way out of the darkness. Bring the lights back up again, please. You also don't have to conform to the rest, do you? When you're there and you're shining a light like that, you're different. It's okay to be different. I think in all of the frustration that we feel with our world that's going down the tubes, one of the great opportunities is that people are dying to see something different. So, in conclusion, you are His to do what He has called you to do. That's what it says. You are, you alone, are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. There's joy in knowing who you are. So as salt and light, you become an instrument of mercy that He wants you to share deep into the lives of those around you and in this society. This is who you are by declaration. Yes, we're recipients of God's grace and His mercy, and we're so glad for that. That's great. But now, once we have been, we are to become influencers and advocates and penetrators, changers, instruments in God's hands. And we must. We don't have an option. We must be and do these things. Obedience is not optional because our adoption was not provisional so penetrate as salt preserve some things around you create thirst for something else not you bring change and as light be visible show what God has done in you be different as a sign that there is so much more that people 
who are insipid and tasteless and without meaning and lost in darkness would be able to find and God would be praised because of the difference that we've made. Let's pray. Now I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you're so patient with us in your mercy and that you could take just this handful of people on the side of a hill and through your being close to us and entering our world really change their lives and cause them to become influencers, agents of change that later people people who who saw the light, tasted the salt, said, what a difference. These people have turned this world upside down. I pray that you would help us to be so faithful. We don't feel like our lights are very big sometimes. But what opportunity when we find ourselves in a world that's so dark. Thank you for choosing to make us the light of the world. And by your grace, we will be that light and make a difference. And may your name be praised.